Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is David Perry, the CEO and co-founder of Caro, the largest collaborative commerce platform and cross-store sales channel connecting Shopify to all of e-commerce. On this episode, David and I discuss how his experience in the video game industry influenced his pivot to the e-commerce space, how brands, influencers, and celebrities can grow their online stores, and much more. Here's our interview now. David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Very happy to have you. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your company, Caro? Well, Caro um, is actually sort of the, the new thing I'm into, which is I'm originally from the video game industry. I was in it for over 30 years, worked on lots of branded games. That was sort of the secret, by the way, is when you're making a video game, if you call it Jumpy Boy and you try to convince the world that Jumpy Boy is a great game, it's expensive. A lot of marketing is required. If you get the rights to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you just... In my case, you went straight to number one, didn't have to do anything. And, and I'm like, wait, suddenly everyone wants to work with me, right? And and, I, and I'm able to get any other license. And so ended up doing the Terminator and the Matrix and things like that. So in the video game industry, that was a really fun uh, fun time. And, and you would assume that would be my final destination, maybe. You know, I'd just stay there and keep doing that. Uh, Sony PlayStation bought my last company. So I ended up at Sony, which was super cool. And Atari bought the company before that. I got the best business card ever, which is an Atari business card. Um, it's super nostalgic. Um, but anyway, where I am now is e-commerce. And what happened was we 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 thought let, let's let's investigate e-commerce because the game industry is big, but e-commerce is profoundly bigger. It's it, hundreds of billions versus trillions. And so what's going on in e-commerce? Is there any opportunity to to create something new there? And we looked at it and just said, well, what are the biggest problems that brands have? And there's two which is every single brand on planet earth wants more sales. You'll never find one like, please no more sales. And the second is they want more attention. It's like they they wake up every single day with those two things and attention costs money. So how can I get more attention for less cost? And so we thought, what can we do to help there? We looked at retail and said, well, retail works differently. So retail, I make a product and I try to get it into as many retail stores as possible. If I can get it into Whole Foods and Costco and Target and Walmart, we're all hugging each other because we're, we've pulled it off. We've got distribution. But online, you see a lot of people sort of building their own little store, like on Shopify or, or Big Commerce or Will Commerce. They build what I consider to be a little island on the internet with no traffic. You can literally have a store with zero traffic. And you then have to convince the internet to come and visit your little island. And that's very hard. And it actually determines life and death for a lot of startups because they they build a great product. They make a beautiful website. They have no traffic. And then they go out there saying, how do I get traffic? And they spend all their money trying to work that out. And, and so the thought we had was, well, why don't we just use the model really that retail uses, which is let's get your products into lots of other stores because they already have the ideal traffic for you. You know, there's partner stores. If you make bicycle helmets, there's a bicycle store out there that you'd like to get your helmets into. So how easy can we make that for these people to sort of discover each other and then actually take the helmets and put them into the bike store and wire them together? Because in the perfect world, we would change not only discovery of products and helping form partnerships, but secondly, to sort of change this paradigm which exists today. Like, let's say this morning you woke up and you said, I'm going to start, you know, making my own um, my own bicycle online store and I'm going to go get helmets. 
what they tend to do is, is start doing a, some kind of wholesale deal to buy a bunch of helmets, which means you're suddenly guessing what colors and sizes and brands you should be, you should be buying. And you're buying that stuff in, you're freighting it, you're putting it in a warehouse, and then you're crossing your fingers, hoping you can get traffic to come and buy that stuff. And you're always wrong, which basically means you end up with a clearance sale or sending some of it back because it's, how can you possibly get that right? All the right sizes and colors, you just can't do it. So what happens is we said, well, let's not, let's sort of reimagine the idea of drop shipping. So instead of you actually getting the stuff and wasting all of that margin by moving products before they've even sold, let's wait until the sale happens. And the moment the sale happens, the helmet company ships the helmet. And by doing that, you save all this back and forth and restocking fees and sales and stuff, all that margin is then split between the two entities. And that's a lot better. And when you really take a step back, what actually occurred when we connected the helmet company and the bike company together, all of the inventory that that helmet company has becomes the inventory of the bike company. So now they can have all the helmets and all the colors and all the sizes. If a new model comes out next week, they can have that too at no cost whatsoever. So they're not paying a cent for any of this stuff. They can try it. And if you think about it, if you're a bike store, then you go, well, I've solved my helmet problem, but what about locks and gloves and all these other things that- Accessories. Bicycles. Yeah. And the answer is have all of them. There's no, there's no risk. There's no cost. If you can sell it, great. There's a real fun thing you can do. If you go on to ChatGPT, which I'm sure you've played with by now, if you type in, I own an online bicycle store, what are all the products I should stock to get the maximum possible revenue? It just goes, boom, there's a list. And so it actually gives you the shopping list without you even having to think. And yet you'll find that, I don't know, 100% of the stores out there haven't thought through the full offering, you know, they'll sell makeup, but they don't sell brushes. And they've got perfectly good reason. They'll say, but we don't make brushes. That's not a good reason because they're going to go to Amazon to buy their brushes. And so anytime you see the answer is, well, they can get that from Amazon. That's a bad answer. Should be getting it from you. Why? Because when you sell all of the, the key products plus accessories, plus all the things that go with it, your average order value increases and therefore your marketing, your ability to market and bring people to your island increases. And so it's a very, very healthy, it's the most important metric, really. Like, can you afford to continue to grow your business? And um, and so by building this technology, it's really been quite exciting. We have really big companies using our, our tech now. We've over 28,000 brands installed us into their actual e-commerce store. And so this is, okay, I'm from the game industry, but what I'm saying is, you can really enter any space if you sort of come at it from a slightly different perspective than the sort of status quo today. No, and that's great. I think the ability to get the retail side of things more cooperative is something that's decently unheard of. I think, um, you know, rising tide raises all ships makes a lot of sense, but I don't think a lot of people in the e-commerce industry really totally grab their heads around it. I, I think there's oftentimes where there's promotion, right? Where I'll promote your thing and you'll promote my thing, but it's not like I'm selling it. When in, in your example, if I go to Target and I see something that I want, I buy it. I don't, I don't, I'm not given like a QR code to go to someone's website to go buy it. So why would that be the way it is in e-commerce and in digital, you know, retail stores. So I, I think what you're touching on is extremely important. I'm curious how it benefits more brands to operate in conjunction with stores instead of treating them as competitors. I mean, that's kind of like the foundation of free market capitalism is 
that competition. So when you eliminate that a little bit, does it does it have that, I don't know, negative side effects a little bit? To be clear, we're not proposing you partner with with competitors in any way. So this is just, you know, you don't sell brushes and this company sells brushes. They don't make makeup, they make brushes. And so you partner with them. So the trick is to, to be clear, we don't we don't force people together. You just find who you'd like to work with within the system. If someone's not in our platform, you, you just say to them, install our platform and suddenly you're connected. It, it's a bit like a dating environment. Oh, that's beautiful. I appreciate that, that explanation. Yeah. And so it's interesting as well. Like when I look at the influencer space, um, a lot of influencers, I would say 99% are still thinking about followers as their main sort of most important thing and their actual ability to make money. They very commonly will send affiliate clicks and you're you're right they're using codes or you know special co- type in this or use this special link or something and then they get an affiliate fee and the affiliate fee tends to be very small it's usually 3 to 5% on Amazon for example somewhere in that zone and what's most important is Amazon keeps all the customers so what happens is they've been doing this for years and years and years and they'd be making this small percentage, which is an affiliate fee with no customers. And, and sometimes I've even had influencers say, oh, you know, I can't believe I just got this cool t-shirt deal. And I go, please tell me you get to keep your customers. And they don't. It's something that they don't understand that, that the customers are the most valuable thing you can possibly have if you're an influencer. Because no one, only, people are only interested in working with you if you can actually influence someone to buy something, right? If, if you, you know, did something and got a bunch of followers because you fell off a cliff or something like that, that's not going to, you're not going to be able to get a lot of customers to sort of follow your advice. So the, the truly valuable people in amongst all those followers are the ones that actually take action based upon what you say. That's what makes you an influencer. So that question of, well, how many customers do you have? 99% will say zero. They're all over in Amazon um, and they own them. And so the professional ones, all the, all of the influencers who are rich, all have lots of customers. And so you'll find the Paris Hiltons and people like that have, you know, their own stores and their own customers. And, and that's the right way to go about doing it. And then you can use technology like Caro to partner with lots of brands and bring them into your store. So now you, you're owning the customers, but you're not having to pay for wholesale or take any risk on anything. You're not even touching any of the products. They get shipped out correctly, but you're not drop shipping from China. These are legitimate, proper companies, and you get to curate and choose which ones you like the best. But you can see how that fundamentally changes the, the life of an influencer, because in our case, the average earning on a product is somewhere around 33%. And so would you rather have 3% or 33%? It's a much, much better environment and you keep your customers. So I think it's going to be fun when we start outreach to lots like Paris Hilton's store is actually powered by us. Ellen DeGeneres' store is powered by us. I think in the future, as we start to explain this more and, and do more, and, and I think it'll it'll be something that influencers really, there's no future where they, they don't have to start thinking about having customers. In fact, I used to just a, a funny one, when MySpace was a big thing, I used to go and visit their office uh, in Los Angeles and they were so cocky because they were killing it. Like they were killing it. MySpace was the biggest thing ever. Imagine all your followers were on MySpace and you didn't have any, you hadn't backed up any customers and then MySpace just disappears into the ether. What are you going to do about that? And so, you know, you can't assume that social media networks don't ever go away because they do. And so you better be backing up. Um, I, I know one influencer on TikTok with 35 million followers. If he ever loses that audience, that would be a disaster for him. 
So again, get your customers backed up into your own store. How much does it cost to make a store? It's like 30 bucks, you know, you know, to pay a monthly subscription. You can probably do it for even less now. So, but basically just paying a, a subscription for on one of the main commerce platforms like Shopify and you're off to the races. Yeah. I mean, I feel like what you're talking about is extremely valid with Twitter specifically because that has gone through some serious changes in the last few to several months that I think people are really seeing in real time the importance of being able to back up their audience or I don't know. I just, I, I just think it's in real time, totally appropriate what you're talking about. And with threads or something like that, people can test the waters and see what's working and what's not. But I think that quick, easy ability to create your own store is totally valid. Do you think that it's so easy that that provides more competition against other people? Just just like philosophically or trend-wise from what you see, if it is that easy, is it more about making sure that these influencers have the right teams around them since it feels like anyone can do it? You know what? There's another business right there. If, if I was starting a new business, I would be helping um, influencers own customers. I think that's a huge opportunity. I do know somebody that did that and sold, they started working with us and then they sold their company for a very large amount of money really quickly. So I think that's sort of a head slappingly obvious business model that's just out there is influencers have one thing, which is they, they, they're successful because they are actually content creators. They get up, they wake up every morning and go, oh my God, I got to I got to make content. And so I look at them and I'm so impressed that they've pulled it off because it's so hard to make compelling content and they do it consistently and entertain millions of people. So the fact that they've got to do that, that's enough. They do not have time to be handling logistics and returns and talking to people and all that. They, they just need that problem to be taken care of. So the way we've set it up is they literally just shop for their shop, which they actually enjoy doing. So if, you, if you're an influencer, you can imagine choosing the things that you think fit who you are. And you can still have all of your own personal merch and your own books and whatever other deals. If you got a record coming out or something, of course, those will all be on your website. So to be crystal clear, this isn't changing how how you operate. It's just, it's augmenting it. And that, that, that extra sales really helps um, with marketing and everything else. But anyway, yeah, it's coming into e-commerce. It feels to me like the Wild West. I can see nothing but opportunity in this space. And, and so that's why we've been having a lot of fun with this. Since coming to e-commerce is a good way of putting it because you at the top of the episode explained that you were in the video gaming industry for, for 30 years, over 35 years. I mean, you you did work in a totally different sector and didn't just work in it. You you really ran it. I mean, to my knowledge, did make two, maybe even three companies that were sold to Sony and Atari extremely successfully, you know, worked on these major IP games, including like Aladdin and The Matrix and Earthworm Jim. And I mean, your resume and, and CV was extremely impressive to me in that video gaming space, which is highly competitive and you know, I pay attention to a lot of film and TV and stuff like that, but that's only like a small percentage of the type of revenue that the video gaming industry actually does bring in. So I'm curious, first off, what totally made you change wavelengths? I mean, it, it sounded like 
you had a good idea and and just kind of pivoted. But I'm curious what really instigated that major industry change. What it was, was um, I have lots of hobbies and I believe very strongly in the more you can learn about lots of things, the better the rapport you will have with people in business. So whenever you're, uh, if, if I'm sitting with someone on an airplane and they're into water skiing, I can, I can talk about it or flying or whatever they're into. Um, I've tried in general to, to learn or, and do that thing, whatever it is. And, and it, it sort of fundamentally changes how you, the rapport you have with people out there. And, um, and I got crazy stuff that's happened over the years because of that. The game industry is really interesting because it, it sort of challenges you creatively to, you have to come up with something interesting and you surround yourself with super talented people that can help sort of keep coming up. You have to keep coming up with new ideas creatively over and over and over. And it sort of changes how you look at everything because it makes me, there's a DNA to making someone be engaged with a game. I actually wrote a book on game design. It's like a thousand pages. I'm going to save reading a thousand pages, but there's three things, which is skill, risk, and strategy. Those are the, the DNA of a game that's addictive. If you take one of those things out, there's no skill required, or there's no way to take any risks in the game or there's no way to come up with new strategies, the game gets tiring really, really quickly. It's done. And anything outside of those three things is all extra, like patting you on the head when you're doing well and things like that. Those are all additional, but the core, core things are those. And so you can you can sort of look at anything and say, you know, how could we make that more engaging? And, you know, it works in every, in every dimension. So if you look at any game like chess or Tetris, or, uh, you know, anything, poker, casinos, skill risk strategy, are they important? You know, why does poker last forever? Um, that's why they got it right. So it's kind of fun because it makes it, 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 when you think of it from that perspective and you come up with a game idea, you can ask yourself, am I onto something here? And then you can think about, are those three components really present? And if they are, you're maybe onto something. And the other things which I know, when I talk to students, that are interested in getting into the video game industry, I point out to them, certainly in my career, we made a game years ago called Earthworm Jim. that was kind of funny. It ended up just, it, it became like a cult hit. We ended up with TV shows and Definitely. Toy Marvel, Marvel made our comic book, just as example. And it was because we injected some humor into the game. It's not laugh out loud. It's not like a, a comedy fest. It's just fun and, and silly. And and so I say that to to students, please don't start with a warehouse with crates in it. There's so many of those. I actually used to do a test on the press. When I was getting interviewed by the press, I would show them pictures of different games where you're in a warehouse with a gun tip and boxes. And I would ask them what game it is. And they couldn't tell you because they've seen so many at this point. And, and so just by saying, no, no, try humor. Just give humor a go. You'll find that it, it opens up an enormous opportunity because you're not competing with other people. It's just there's so few amusing and funny games. It's I don't know if it's one percent. It's it's small. And so that's that was a big sort of trick I learned. If I was to go back to games, I'd be focusing on humor for sure. No, that's very cool because that's one of those things that stuck out to me on the Earthworm Jim games was it, it is kind of quirky, but not in, in like a shucksy way. The most successful games, to my experience, are ones that are iconic or totally separate and different from each other. I would probably say Crash Bandicoot is like my favorite game of all time because there's nothing really like it. Even though you could just say it's a platformer, it just doesn't look or feel like anything else for me personally. So I think that the same can kind of be said when creating a brand, despite having the same genre of like 
I want to sell hygiene products or something. It has to be presented in a way that I haven't seen before. I do not come across a lot of brands that have, for example, enough humor in their copy or something like that. It feels either edgy or maybe bland, but I think that personality is kind of what I'm hearing you say a lot of brands can inject to help with their revenue. I think we're guilty of it too. I honestly do. Um, when you hire an agency, the agency asks you, like a branding agency, they ask you, what's the vision for this? What are you doing? And in our case, the thought was that we would help you do things that that may that may seem impossible because of all the, the way in which we can handle data, et cetera, that we can we can help you work out what's missing in your store and know what will sell and of all the products out there, which ones will sell the best. And because of it, we chose, there's a, lots of sites out there that talk about different brand archetypes. And the one we chose with them was The Magician. And it's funny because you go down that rabbit hole instead of saying, who do we want to be? Um, like, who do we want to be instead of who are we? And so you'll find a lot of the branding companies are just trying to work out who you are so they can get their the website built to, to match your current profile. They didn't sort of ask who we want to be. And I think that's an interesting point. And we probably would have ended up going more humor and interesting and fun versus a little serious. What we did was we wanted to be an e-commerce company. We knew that. And we knew that e-commerce, if you think about it, what's the one fundamental icon of e-commerce is the cart. Uh, the shopping cart. What we did is we took the word cart and put it into every language. And then we had a group of influencers who were visiting our office, look at all these different versions of Caro and they, and choose which one they liked and they, and they liked Caro the best. And that's why the company is called that, but it could have been Caros, which is the Latin version or something else. It's just interesting because this is the path we chose, but ultimately it means cart, which is the the thing that we really wanted to hold on to. I was going to ask about the name because that is an, an identity. That's one of the most important things that you can do for businesses. As other people don't take it that seriously, I, you know, and I had to come up with a name for my production company. It was just like a bolt of lightning, you know, when you know, you know, type of things. But there are other things where you have to totally belabor the issue because it is your identity. You know, when when you're born, David, when I'm born, I didn't I didn't get to pick my name, you know. So then you have to figure out what that means. That's kind of what I what, what I hear when I hear you say, you know, what we want to be versus what we are. And what we are is is David and Alex, while what we want to be is what does Caro mean? You know, that's your version of kind of trying to figure out what you want to be. So I think that brands, and I'd love to hear your opinion about it, if they think a lot about what they want to be in conjunction with what they are, or if it's so one track minded that it's like, I need to do this and that. And the third thing to keep going here, you know what I'm saying? Where, where it consistently feels like I have to do this so I can do that. So I could do this so I could do that when there isn't really a lot of, again, maybe it's redundant to say personality, but it feels like it's just a constant, I don't know, chase instead of like an overarching goal to create a fully formed brand. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it's it's fascinating because what happens is whenever brands install into our platform, we get to see what they registered as, as a company. And you can see very commonly the name changed. <laughs> uh, they had some idea for, because this was obviously the inception of their company. They didn't quite know. They were still thinking about it. And then 
and then you see the final company. And so that's pretty fun to see how many actually clearly weren't clear at the start and are who they who they finally became. And uh, and that's pretty fun to see. It it makes it quite hard sometimes to we actually somehow have to go look them up. What were they called again in our system? Because in our system, the, the, their their original name, not their new name. Because uh, that's how they created their their, their accounts, but um, it, it's pretty fun. So the overall with with e-commerce is, I think what's fun about it is this idea that the idea of partnership is is surprisingly uncommon in the space. The idea of getting these people to to help each other unlocks new concepts to them. Like for example, say it's Valentine's Day and you want to add products for Valentine's Day through a partnership network. You can go find red products or whatever you're looking for and put them into your store for Valentine's Day at no cost. And then when Valentine's Day is away, you take them away. And, and so why does that matter? The reason that matters is because a lot of e-commerce stores are boring and they never change. They, they built the thing three years ago with their four products and they uh, they don't do anything else. They just try to keep you know buying more Google clicks and more influencers and try to get people or they only change the price yeah exactly and i uh i saw a lady once i talked to a lady once who made spaghetti and she had i think three different whatever it was three different colors of spaghetti on her website and it's beautiful and i said to her what's your plan for the future and she goes we're gonna add another color of spaghetti and i and i said but your site is filled with uh with all these amazing recipes and beautiful table lays like i want to i want to eat like that you know i want that for dinner but you're insisting i go buy everything else somewhere else like including the knives and forks and plates and everything that you're presenting i have to just go get it all elsewhere it's quite common they've never even thought about it so there was a lady who sells bags that go to the beach you know like beach bags and we said to her you do sell what goes in the bag you know the towels and everything else and she's like Never thought about it. And so, again, ChatGPT would solve that in two seconds. That's something. So we have some some process we have to go out and, and uh, evangelize and explain this concept. But as the network builds, um, we're, we have a company that reached out to us saying that they could help us reduce the shipping costs for brands in our network. And, and that's a really big deal because one of the margin losses in the system is shipping. So you could see a future where we would be representing maybe 100,000 brands. I'd love to talk to FedEx on behalf of 100,000 brands and say we'd like to reduce the shipping costs. But you can see how that start to, starts to become a network effect. And that's quite exciting as well as a concept. I'm interested in the entrepreneur listening right now that said, I did think of that. I chose not to do it. Or I even reached out to a brand to try to get some sort of a partnership and they shut me down. Just to kind of play devil's advocate with you, David, because I no, there's got to be someone listening who was like, I do sell, you know, soccer balls, but I don't sell the pumps. I talked to someone who sells the pumps and they said they weren't interested. So now what, I guess, is my question to you. Do they need to work with a company like you who is capable of vetting these brands and making sure that they are the right fit? Great question. So we just announced today that we've hit a million products and a million products. We have bike pumps. And what's interesting is there's two kinds of companies. There's some companies that are out saying, I just want to increase my sales. I want to get as many partnerships as I can. And so on our platform, they put it on auto. And auto means basically if somebody wants to come and try to sell their pumps, they're welcome to. And if they end up like not wanting to work with them, they can cut them off. But but ultimately, they're saying, give it a, give it a shot and see if you can sell my pumps. If you can, I want those sales. Because remember, when the sale happens on your site, you get paid the 30% or whatever it is for the pump. 
but they get the order and ship it out. So, so they're getting orders from heaven. They wake up in the morning and, and there's orders that they never had, they didn't have anything to do with. They just appear in their order queue because you managed to sell their product somewhere else. And now they're going to ship it out. How many of those do they want? And the answer is they put it on auto and say, give me as many as you can get. So if, if you come to our platform and just look for bike pumps, there will be bike pumps in there. You can choose whichever ones you want and go live. But there's the second kind of company is the bigger companies who tend to want to control everything, who they work with, all the rest of it. And so how they partner. Those bigger companies are in our platform too. We have lots and lots, uh, you know, lots of the biggest brands uh, in the world. And so... When you want to partner with one of those people, they tend to um, want to look at your website and make sure you're legitimate and all the rest. And that's fine. And once they click approve, then then you get access to their products. And so in that case, you just have to put your best foot forward. You you apply to sell their products. You're, you're, you're clicking request the product and they get notified that you're interested in selling it. They're going to come look at your website. If your website looks terrible and where you've never sold anything, probably not best to hit up Adidas right away, you know, find somebody else, but work your way up. So as you increase sales or as your website starts to look really professional, those are the things that are going to get people to want to partner with you. And so it's a self-solving problem because if you come into the network and you don't do a good job, we're going to end up kicking you out and you're going to have lost access to all of these amazing brands. So in a way you need to sort of do a good job to be a part of the, the ecosystem, but if you do, then you know you should be able to work your way up the quality of brands that would like to work with you. There's some amazing stores in our. There's one called Gear.com. If you go to Gear.com and you click on Brands, all brands, you can see they have an unbelievable amount of partnerships. I think we're over six thousand different products powered by us already in their store. You know they they've built an adventure marketplace. Would you really want to try to keep all of that stuff in a warehouse somewhere and pay for rent and hope you sell it? Like hope those kayaks sell before they start getting old. Oh, and that's going to take up space. Yeah, that's going to take up some space. So why not just add kayaks? If they sell, add foldable kayaks and start adding the variants of kayaks, right? That can go in a car. And so you can see, you can sort of work out what your audience wants at no risk whatsoever. And uh, and that's why it's kind of fun. That's amazing. I, I really love the idea. And David, I, I got to ask you one more question before we wrap up. It's the same question I ask all my guests at the end of the show. You mentioned it a little bit. In e-commerce, I find in this industry, work-life balance is a lot more difficult to manage because entrepreneurs have to keep odd hours. It can be very stressful and wearing on mental health. So I find it's important to have hobbies and interests to ensure that work-life harmony. What are some more of your hobbies and interests that you practice to ensure good mental health hygiene? That's a good good question. So again, I was really interested in learning everything. So I, I, I leased a warehouse and I put in there woodworking equipment first, thinking I'd like to learn woodworking. Um, CNC, 3D printers, all kinds of stuff, uh, laser cutters, sand blasters. I just sort of kept adding equipment. And then I realized, no, it's actually metal work I want to add as well. So welding station, took welding classes, all the rest of it. And then I was like, well, actually, let's set up a photography area. So I set up a full photography studio. That turned out to be the thing that I think is the most fun because I've realized that that's a great gift for people is when somebody comes and you take a picture of them where you really capture them. And, and there's a secret to that, which is there's a photographer in New York called Peter Hurley. He's, he usually wins Headshot Photographer of the Year. And the reason is he, he found this amazing trick, which is if he can get you to laugh, your whole face lights up 
And then he waits for a moment until like the teeth disappear and the, the big sort of laugh goes away. And then he captures your picture and your, your face is just lit up. And people tend to go, whoa, I love that picture of myself. And that becomes who they are online because it becomes their icon, their social media posts, um, et cetera. So I took as many classes as I could, including with Peter. And I ended up sort of setting up my own studio and, and I take pictures of people there. And what happened was I found that um, when I took normal pictures of normal people, I didn't really get any interest at all. Like who cares about my pictures? But when I took a picture of an influencer, I would get like hammered with, you know, do you know this person? Oh my God, I want to marry this person. How do I meet this person? And I, I thought that was really fun. So I started to have more influencers come into my studio. And and I there was one day I was looking at thinking, you know, these are these are teenage kids or friends of my daughter, and they had 15 million followers um, between them. And just and so I, I sort of went, I was just at an Ed Sheeran concert and the, the whole Rose Bowl was like 60,000 people and people are like ants. And these kids in my studio have 15 million that they speak to every day. Like Ed can only do a certain amount of concerts. These these kids here have 15 million that they speak to every day. And and so then I started talking to them, what's it like to be an influencer? And they said, oh, it's it's terrible because you never get to work with the brands you want to work with. It's always some candle company from Denver that's trying to get you to tell everyone that they make the best candles and you don't even use candles, but your mom wants to accept the money and have you hold up the candles. And it's, it's not fun at all. And so I was like, hmm, so what you're really saying is there's got to be a better way to connect influencers with brands. And that's how we, that was the original thing that made me say, look, I really need to look at this e-commerce slash influencer thing. And it sort of led us down this path of of just getting everyone to work together what, what we realized is influencers are just brands they're they're just a brand when they when you treat them like a brand then it just becomes they become a key piece of of a large network and so we have television companies that are also part of our network so univision for example so we can put people's products on live television the today show um, as well so the ability to sort of if you join the network you can you can end up partnering with some really cool entities that's 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 what happens as this builds and that's why it's kind of exciting but anyway yeah no so the hobbies are endless what i realized is and and sort of to give you the philosophical reason why is i realized that my entire career i've been making digital things i've been making excel spreadsheets and powerpoints and all the rest of it and i thought to myself someday when I'm gone, my daughter's going to look through and go, you know, what, I'm thinking, what, what is she going to, she's not going to sit there and go, well, that's a great spreadsheet he made, <laughs> right? It's, it's all gone. Like it's, it's that digital fingerprint doesn't really matter. Uh, maybe, maybe the games are cool, but she's not really into the games and they're old. So I thought I need to start to learn to make how, how to make some physical things. So they will still exist when I'm gone. And that means woodworking and metalworking and all of these, all of these other things. So, and what happens is when you actually say, I'm going to learn how to do something like that. And you take a few classes, which by the way, is all you have to do. And, you know, you literally go take a woodworking class after a few days, you'll be actually making things. It changes your whole perspective on the world. As I walk through a hotel now, I actually catch myself going, nice table, or that's a really, you know, that's a beautiful job. With the that legs person. on that chair. Yeah. I have, I have respect for people. That I, my whole life, I've just walked past all this stuff. I didn't, ever think about it. I didn't go, that's a nice piece of walnut or something, but now I do. And and so if anything, it, it sort of 
it, it increases your appreciation for the creativity of other people and the stuff that they've done and created. And, and in a way, I just want to find some way to contribute to, to that space as well. No, there's something powerful there with the physicality of what we leave behind or, or how we interact with the world. Just anecdotally, really quickly, I was reading about uh, Kurt Vonnegut talking about how he needed an envelope. And his wife was like, why don't you just order one online? And he was like, well, because then I don't get to meet the person at the counter or, or maybe I want to pet a dog or maybe I want to, you know, spit on the sidewalk. And it's like, I don't get all of that stuff. If I hop in front of my computer and order an, an envelope online, if I go to the post office, I kind of get this whole little, little mini adventure. And that's kind of what I hear baked into what you're kind of saying a little bit, David, is that human desire for connection a little bit. So I think that's very special. And, and I really appreciate your your time today. And, you know, thank you so much for coming on and good luck in the future. Thanks so much for inviting me. It was fun to chat and make sure you go back to Ireland again sometime soon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll be there. Um, I don't know. Hopefully within the year, maybe Italy on the way. I want to take my daughter. There's a castle called Ashford Castle where they have these giant Irish wolfhounds and and they can take them for walks into the forest. And I, I think she would absolutely love that. So that's that's on the list. I need to go to Scotland too next. Maybe we could all take a road trip to Ireland, Scotland together. Sounds cool. Well, thanks so much. Have a good one, David. I'd like to thank my guest, David Perry, for joining me on the show and come back on Thursday when I talk with Yash Chavin, the founder of Sural, which is the simplest and fastest way for brands to get started with influencer marketing. With Sural, brands can find, manage, and monetize their direct-to-creator influencer relationships. For more information about David, you can connect with him on LinkedIn. And to learn more about Caro, you can check out their website, getcaro.com, spelled G-E-T-C-A-R-R-O.com. That's our show. Thanks for joining Joining us, and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until next time.